Good morning, everybody. All right. How many are excited about this series? That was kind of underwhelming. <laughs> How many are excited about this series? <laughs> Let me get a little bit more personal. How many of you are believing God for breakthrough somewhere? Amen. Now, what I want to encourage you guys is what I'm believing for, and that's that God is going to do something in your lives as we go through this series on miracles um, that something would be planted in you to believe a little bit more, to increase your faith just a little bit more so that these stories just aren't stories, that they're not foreign to you, but that God would actually do something um, in your life. If you receive that, say amen. Amen. All right. Well, like Pastor Matt said, uh, Pastor Brett Fuller will be here next week. We're going to be a little bit out of order just uh, because he has requested to speak on what we were supposed to speak on today. Uh, so we're going to reserve that for him next week. So we're going to be in John chapter 5, just letting you know you can be prepared uh, for that. So you can begin to turn there in your devices or if you brought a Bible, uh, start flipping over there. But I've entitled my message today, Loaded Questions. How many know loaded questions are questions where there's a question behind the question? <laughs> there's more to the question than, than just the question. Uh, my wife, Vilma, is a master at using loaded questions. Now, before I give you an example of that, probably the most popular loaded question in my home, um, I want to share something that I've learned this week that is new to me. It's called, uh, it's a psychological term. It's called productive discomfort. Say productive discomfort. It's the awareness that some discomfort is necessary in order to grow and change. And so I can remember the words of my football coach. He would say, okay, when you stretch, stretch just enough until it hurts and then stretch a little more. Or he would say, do as many reps as you can and when you can't do any more, do one more. Right? Productive discomfort. It's the only way that we're going to grow. And Jesus, as he is the master of these loaded questions, it puts us in that tension of being productively uncomfortable. And so, back to my example, um, one of the most popular loaded questions in my home is this. As she walks back in, as I'm telling this story, who let her back in here? Aren't you supposed to be teaching the children? Okay, anyway, all right, here we go. <laughs> Let's see how this goes. Man, I don't know if you can relate with this or if your kids sometimes do this. And you go to look for something and you can't find it. And so who do we run to? Mom or the wife. And I say, babe, I, I can't find it. What is the typical response? What do you usually hear? Did you look with your eyes? How many know that is a, that's a loaded question. There's, a, there's an implication behind that question. And so the, the deeper meaning is that I, I probably didn't look hard enough. Okay, and so I would love to hear some of your um, loaded questions in your home. But we're going to explore a particular loaded question in the text that we're going to read. But also, as I was reading, I just kind of got on this uh, this trend of, of, of finding questions that I think are going to help us today. So um, we're going to read the entirety of our text, and then I'm going to show you a video 
Um, it's going to add some cinematography to, to what we read. So let's jump right in. Um, in John chapter 5, verse 2, we'll start there. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. I'm going to read a verse that may not be in your Bible if you're reading. It says, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Say 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? There's our first loaded question. Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man, who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed, which was really just a mat. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing things on the Sabbath. How many have um, caught a glimpse of a series called The Chosen? I'm going to show you a clip of this scene. I think the directors do an incredible job. We're on season three. Um, I've, se I've seen... I've seen Jesus movies and Jesus stories, and they're, you know, they're fine. They're all right. But there's something about this producer and this director that really captures the heart of what people are going through. So this is a four-minute video. It's a little bit long, but just bear with it. I believe it's going to bless you. Let's show the video. Shalom. Me. Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one 
to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need Free to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. Oh, pretty powerful, wasn't it? Thirty-eight years is a long time to be waiting and believing God for in God for something. And so I think what well, I think what I'll tell us is what I shared with with our huddle group before we start in the service, and that that's that we can't really relate to the story because in our own eyes we're not crippled and we're not healed. Uh, we're not crippled and we're not believing maybe specifically, you know, for that. We're not lame. We haven't maybe been waiting that long, but. Really, this is a picture of us. We're going to talk about how. So the setting is a place called the Pool of Bethesda. About a year ago, almost, sorry, God was calling. Um, <laughs> what are you trying to tell me, Lord? 
Okay. But uh, about a year ago, I was able to go to Israel. It was a dream of a lifetime trip. And so, um, and I, we were able to go to the pool of Bethesda. This is, uh, I took this with my camera. I tried to get an angle to give uh, an idea of what the city looks like. It's still a functioning city. People still live there. Um, just around the outside, there are still businesses that, that operate. This has been going on since the time of Jesus. And so, but I wanted, what I want you to notice is really how deep this pool is. They say it's, it's close to 50 feet deep. The way it was designed was um, on, um, near a dam. The dam would feed the water. There were cisterns around the top that would also feed the water. But another thing that happened is that water would funnel through the rocks into the water and then it would create bubbles. And so the verse that I read you, that verse 4 that sometimes isn't in the modern translations of the Bible, the reason why it's not there is because as they find more manuscripts, they're finding that that is not there. And so that could have been uh, notes that a scribe, when they were, remember there was no Xerox copiers back then, they're right, no, no, no word processors, and so everything had to be copied by hand, and that somebody probably took notes because at that time they believed there was a legend, it was like superstition, that when the water bubbled and stirred, it must be an angel. And so it was so popular that multitudes, the Bible says, of invalids and people who needed to be healed would go here. That's how much they believed in this. And so they believe it might have been around the time of a, of a feast. You know, Israel is big on feasts. That's how they celebrate. Uh, and so, um, but that's what would happen. The water would funnel through to the bottom of the pool and create a current. Bubbles would come up and people uh, thought that that was an angel. And so this is where the setting takes place. The name Bethesda has a both positive and negative meaning. It means house of mercy or house of grace. But the other meaning is guilt or shame. And when you look at that movie and when you think of the, of the, of the guy who was lame, he experienced both, both mercy, but yet he was also experiencing guilt and shame from being there. And so, how many know when we encounter Jesus, we have some decisions? When we encounter Jesus, we have some decisions to make. And so I want to go right out of the gates with the first question. Do you want to be healed? Let me read it again. In verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there, knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? <clears throat> the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Do you want to be healed? How many know that's a simple question? Requires a simple answer. All it needed was a yes or a no. Just a simple reply, but the man didn't give it. He responded with defensiveness. He responded with excuses. And seriously, when you think about it, if you were in this man's situation and you had been in his shoes for 38 years and somebody asked you that question, you'd probably uh, be like, what kind of question is that? Right? I mean, he was obviously at the pool for a reason because he believed he could be healed. That's why he was there. He couldn't get there on his own. His friends, his family had to have brought him, whether it was daily or at every festival, whatever the frequency was. He couldn't get there by himself, but he had somebody bring him. And so it's like having hope and hopelessness. It's like, you know, there's this, you know, dichotomy going on. There's, you know, a situation that um, 
that you don't necessarily like, but sometimes you kind of like it at the same time. And so you may live in a situation for so long that all of a sudden it becomes normal. And when something becomes normal, we tend to just accept it. And I believe that this is what was going on with this guy. So when Jesus asks that question, remember, a loaded question is a question behind a question. There's more to the question than just the question. So what was Jesus getting at when he asked this question? I believe he was getting at more than the physical problem, which is what we usually look for, as this man does. I believe Jesus was getting at this man's soul when he asked that question. And so we all have our challenges. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too tall. I'm too short. Then we get older. I don't have enough money. Right? Oh, you know, I'm not qualified enough. Oh, man, I applied for that job. I'm overqualified. Right? And it just goes on and on and on. Maybe it's more serious things and maybe it's has to do with baggage. I was abused. I was abandoned. You know, nobody cares about me. And these are valid things. We experience this. You know, we say things like, you know, oh, my condition. You know, my, my sickness, my anxiety, my, my, my. Why do, we, why do we speak as if we own it? And that's how normal these things can become. You know, we just came back from Florida um, last weekend. Again, thank you for your generosity and for helping to send. There were seven of us uh, that went to this conference. And so um, majority students, uh, Pastor Matt and I um, joined them, but you guys helped send them. So thank you guys so much again for doing that. But on the way back, um, I got sick. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was sick. And I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. And sometimes when I talk, if my voice cracks, it's because it's still a little bit weak. Um, so don't worry, I'm clear. Um, and this is just residue. But you know what I noticed is that sometimes I like being sick. You know why? Because I have an incredible wife, and, she's, and she is so awesome. And if you know my wife, to see her change personalities is a big deal. Her background is a cop. And so sometimes she walks in the house, she's like... Right? And me and the boys, she walks in, me and the boys are like, but when I get sick, <laughs> babe, <laughs> my voice changes, my mannerisms change. I'm not, I'm not feeling good. And she goes, oh, her voice changes. Oh, oh, you're not feeling well? She'll caress me. Yeah, no. What's wrong? My throat hurt. Oh, your throat. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, you should, you should go lay down. Okay, are you hungry? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I like that. I enjoy that. Where I don't have to move. And, and she's, I mean, she'll sit on the bed and she'll, you know, rub me. And I'm like, yeah, this is Jesus. That's what I'm talking about, right? In the same way, in our lives, sometimes we can become like this. It becomes so normal that we, it becomes a part of us and it's hard to separate. And we even identify with it. We introduce ourselves as if it's part of us. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I experienced that too. Matter of fact, and it's like we up it from whoever we're talking to. And I believe that this is what this man was going through. 
He does this in verse 7. He avoids giving an answer, and instead he offers excuses. In verse 7 he says, Sir, I have no one to put me in the going. Another steps down before me. Now, remember that the, the verse that we read was a superstition. It's probably safe to say it wasn't an angel stirring up the water. But yet people put their faith and their belief in such things. And so the pool of Bethesda can represent whatever we put our faith in. And so what kind of pools do you go to? How many know the pool had nothing to do with it? Just like Jesus said in the, in the movie, the pool was a distraction. It was a, it was a deception. And this man came face to face with Jesus because he, because he put his faith in something else and his faith was so much in something else he didn't even recognize the Messiah standing in front of him. And sometimes God shows up in the same way. And because we have our faith in other things, we miss him. We totally miss him. And I want you to know something. There's a pool named success that won't always help you. There's a pool called superstition, new age, whatever you want to call it, crystals, whatever, tarot, it'll deceive you. There are pools that take the form of substances that will make you feel real good in the beginning, but make you feel like trash at the end. There are a bunch of pools with different names like Camilla or Charlotte or Gianna. Or maybe more masculine names like Levi or Mateo. And they'll steal your heart only to shatter it later. What pools... Do we go to? What pools do we believe in? I forgot one. There's a pool called religion. And it will not save you. How many are feeling that productive discomfort at this moment right now? Here's the crazy thing. The irony of this story is that man is us. That man is us. We've exchanged our creator for his created things. We've exchanged the giver for his gifts. We prayed this morning in our prayer meeting that we wouldn't look to the things that God's hand provides us, but we'd find him first. We'd look for his heart first. Because in that way, we won't miss him the way this man did. Uh, let's go back to verse 9 because this is the best part of the story. Uh, verse 8, verse 9 says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once, the man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed, take up your mat. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And that leads to the second question. They asked, who is this man? Who is this man? How many know that's a question you and I have to answer every single day? Who is Jesus to you? In Matthew, he's talking to his disciples who had been walking with him for quite a while. And Jesus said, who do they say I am? Oh, some say Elijah. Oh, some say John the Baptist. And then he kind of dials it in a little bit closer. He says, what about you? We know each other really well. Who do you say that I am? 
How many know there's only one right answer? If he's the Messiah, then he's your Savior and, say and, and Lord. So they asked him, who's this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? The man who had been healed did not know who it was. Remember, he missed it. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. This is a perpetual question. It will never go away until we actually cross over into heaven. So we see a couple of occasions that when the man was healed, he didn't recognize Jesus. In verse 7, he even called him sir. He said so he called Jesus sir, didn't know it was him. I remember at this time, Jesus had just kind of begun his ministry. And so he wasn't very well known, although there was some clamoring going on. There were some ripples going across. And then when the guards asked him, who told you to pick up your mat? He says that he didn't know Jesus. The only thing he did know for sure is that the one who gave him the order, and uh, the man who gave him the order, he had to be obedient to. And it wasn't until then that he received his miracle. And I believe that some of you are one obedient choice away from your miracle. So sometimes Jesus comes to us even before we know him. Even before we recognize him, his grace and his mercy is working on our behalf because that's the kind of God that he is. And we always say, I found Jesus, but you know, that's not accurate because Jesus was never lost. We were. He found us. He came to us. He pursued us. It's just like the woman at the well. Remember that story? The, the disciples were hiking back. And then Jesus says, you know what? You guys go eat. Go find some lunch. I'm going this way. And they're like, wait a minute, Jesus. That's Samaria. That's the other side of the tracks. That's the south side. We don't go there. That's east side. You know, that's, you know what I'm saying? That's, Jesus, we don't, we don't go through those neighborhoods. And Jesus said, go eat. And you know why I believe he did that? Because I don't think they were ready. Because he was going to another race, another group of people. 800 years of prejudice represented in that trip. And he purposely went to find one person, the woman at the well. And he revealed himself to her. There was a revival in that town. God can do amazing things through one person when he reveals himself and we obey him. Amen. And so the man wasn't even looking for Jesus. Jesus sought him out. And think about this. Why did Jesus choose this man of all? You saw in the movie there was others there who were waiting for a miracle, waiting to be healed. So what, why this guy? Notice that he did not have great faith. He wasn't living for God. He didn't live an exemplary life. Okay, there wasn't anything real special about him. Matter of fact, he was far from God and he came to him and he received from him. So it makes me wonder what our problem is when we're believing God for something and we follow him. If God can have mercy on who he has mercy, who he chooses sovereignly out of compassion and he chooses somebody who's not even, I want you guys to start believing for miracles. Amen? John 15 says, we didn't choose him. He chose us to bear fruit. Ephesians 1 says, he chose us before the foundations of the world to be holy and to be blameless. This man's healing and salvation had nothing to do with him. 
It had everything to do with God. Matthew 16, he asked the disciples again, who do you say that I am? And Peter got it right, and he said, you didn't get it right because of you. But this was revealed to you, Peter. And I don't know if you noticed Peter in the movie. Peter looked kind of jacked, didn't he? Muscles and stuff. I was like, dude, I know he's a fisherman, but I don't know if fishermen look like that. Anyway, will you respond in obedience? It doesn't mean like Jesus was revealing himself, but that's exactly what was happening when they ran into each other at the temple because it doesn't, it doesn't look like that. But the fact that Jesus saw him again in the temple, they ran into each other. Remember, he picked up his mat and walked. That mat represents your past life. I like the way, again, the director did it. He said, don't forget your mat. Don't forget your bed. He picks it up and he goes, why is this important? He says, you know what? Because you're not going to need that anymore. That mat, when that man was on there, he picked it up. You know what that meant? That no longer was his problems carrying him. But now he's in control of them because of what Jesus did. I believe God wants us to pick up our mat today. And so when he saw him in the temple again, he says, see, you're healed. In other versions, it says "You're, you're whole. And he sees him and he says, you know, only, think about it, only the, only the Messiah would say something like that. You see, you're, you're, made, you're, you're healed. Your sins are forgiven. You're good. Who else would say that? We don't have the authority to do that. We don't forgive. We don't have the authority to pardon sins the way Jesus does. And so by saying that, even though the man didn't realize it and it may not look like it from the scriptures, that was Jesus revealing himself saying, yeah, I'm the Messiah. You're good now. It was a revealing. And he says, go and sin no more so that nothing else worse will happen to you. You know, the one thing in this story that I can't gloss over is the fact that, you know, we'll say a lot of times that, you know, it's, you know that your sin doesn't have a whole lot to do with what God wants to do with your life, right? But, you know, there is something called the fruit of sin. The Bible says whatever you partake of, whatever you sow, you shall also reap. And so there's some things, I'll be honest, in my life that I, I, I took that sin, that I partook of that fruit, and I'm still feeling the effects of it today. Not that God hasn't forgiven me or set me free, he has, but maybe a bad decision, maybe a bad choice, the fruit of sin. Does that make sense? Jesus says, go and sin no more. This is a picture of lordship. Go and sin no more. Go and you're forgiven, follow me. You know, be obedient now so that nothing else worse happens to you. If you follow me, if you leave that old life behind, I've got good things for you. Just trust me. Just follow. Leave that, just come on. And that's what he said. Go and sin no more. Do what I say. Follow me. But Lord means boss. If he's your savior, great. You punched your ticket, we'll see you in heaven. But on earth, there's something else where Jesus goes, 
Are you going to follow me or not? Do you want your blessing or not? Do you want your healing or not? Do you want your miracle or not? Because this is the way, if that's what you want. If you want the good life, if you want the abundant life, follow me. That's the only way we're going to get it. I love it in the, in the clip. He says, will you take me to the pool? Will you carry me there? And he says, you don't need the pool. You only need me. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. There is no other. Or you can return. This is the alternative. You can return to your old way. You can return to your old life. You can go back into bondage like he said. Go and sin no more so that nothing else worse happens to you. We don't have time to go into this. But you know, there's a, there's a principle where, I don't know if you remember uh, the, uh, the scripture where Jesus delivers a man from demons. And then he says, you know what? Make sure those demons don't come back because if they do, they're going to find the house swept clean. And he'll bring seven others worse. That's a whole other script. You know what? I'm not even going to go there. That's a whole other message. Um, but I'll just say this, and that's that there have been times where I've seen people get free from something and then return to it, and it's literally seven times worse when they start to dabble again. Last question. Who will you tell? Verse 14, after Jesus found him in the temple, he said to him, See, you're well, sin no more, that nothing else worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, in this scripture, there's some debate as to the man's intentions. Some people say, some scholars say that he was being pressured by the, you, you saw the, 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 the Jewish, um, the priests in the background in, in, the, in the clip. And so there's, some say that he was being pressured. And as he was being pressured, he, he told on Jesus. He ratted him out. There, that, that man, he's the one that told me. But you know, I don't think that's the case. Because if I had been lame for 38 years and some dude shows up and says, pick up your mat, walk, and I get up, I think I'd be too happy and too thankful, too grateful to try to tell on somebody. I believe he was sharing his story with everybody else. And think about this. To the Jewish people, the very ones who reject him and the very ones that are going to end up killing him. That's who he was sharing with and he was witnessing to. Now, Vegas has a reputation for being a sinful city. I don't know if you've noticed. One of the darkest cities in America. We take pride in that kind of stuff, but I just see it as a great opportunity to share my story. Who are you going to tell? Will it be that coworker? Will it be that neighbor? Will it be that stranger? Who are you going to tell? If Jesus shows up and he heals you, will you accept his salvation? <clears throat> will you accept his lordship? This man was bearing witness about him. Let me just 
wrap this up. Jesus doesn't help the man get into the water. He comes to him while he's on his mat. He comes to him while he's on his bed. That mat represents everything that we want to get away from. It represents all the things that that we don't like, all the things that we wish weren't happening in our lives. It's what we want to escape from. And then Jesus speaks words of life. And he speaks words of resurrection. He says, get up. And he speaks words of healing. And he says, walk. And the man walks. And I believe God is saying to us, pick up your mat. Let's go. You've been here too long. You've been here too long. What is it that you're believing God for, for breakthrough today? I know it may seem impossible. A lot of things do. But I don't know how to approach God in any other way except in faith. Period. I don't know of any other way. The man doesn't leave his mat behind. He goes, the mat goes with him. His bed, it represents his circumstances. Which are very real. I have some in my life. The difference is now, like I said earlier, he carries them. They no longer carry him. What circumstances are carrying you? Jesus doesn't change our outer circumstances. He changes us. He calls us into a new way of being. He calls us into a new way of seeing. He calls us into a new way of speaking, acting, thinking. When we stand and we rise to that new life that we receive, that we discover, whatever you want to call it, circumstances somehow change when we follow him, when we obey him. That doesn't necessarily make life easier, mean that we no longer have to deal with those circumstances or just whatever may come our way. It just makes our circumstances more manageable. And we engage them from a different place. And we engage them from a different position. The pool of Bethesda, when you follow God, is drained of its power. It has no more influence on you. You don't have to chase pools anymore when you find the truth. Truth doesn't only reveal, truth uncovers. And so the things that you run to and put your faith in and put your hope in, all of a sudden when you follow Jesus, he uncovers it and goes, this is what it really is. He says, stop going there. Come here. Follow me. Where there was once imprisonment, where there was once stagnation, I'm believing God is going to bring currents and bubbles of new life to you and to us. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word today. 
Lord, thank you, Lord, for your heart and your love. Father, I pray through this story, you're communicating even as, I, as I'm praying. And Father, I just in your heart, just begin to lift up to God whatever it is that you've been, that secret prayer that probably nobody else knows about or maybe you haven't said anything in a while. Just take a moment, just you and God, and just begin to tell him. He knows it, but he loves it when we come to him. Whether it's financial, whether it's something physical, whether it's something your doctor said, whether it's something your bank statement said, whether it's a broken relationship, come to you, God. Forgive us for going to different pools. Forgive us for looking for bubbles somewhere else. We don't need pools. We need you. And God, I just pray that people today here in this sanctuary, Lord, in your compassion and in your sovereignty, that you would bring breakthrough to them. You would bring healing to them. You would bring release to them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.